Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Revolution Recap. This is a podcast that we're doing for a season wrap up. If you're not familiar with the show from many, many years ago, I used to host a one hour show down in Rhode Island called Revolution Recap, where every weekend we would discuss the revolution and how the, the past week went. Uh, we're bringing it back now as a podcast. We'll see how often we do it in the off season, but we're giving it a shot here as a season wrap up. Uh, I'm Sean Donahue, joined by Brian O'Connell, who is a frequent co host of that old show, and also joined by Greg Johnstone. Um, all of us of New England Soccer Today, and New England Soccer Today will be hosting this podcast. Uh, but plenty to talk about after this past season for the Revolution. Pretty disastrous overall. They did make it to the Open Cup final, but after you know three straight years of making the playoffs, this year ended up being uh, the year that they just come, came up a little bit short uh, thanks to their goal differential tiebreaker. Um, but, but really, their, their season was over pretty early on because of some very poor results to start the year uh, and le- left them with a lot to do to finish the year off. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting, Sean. I was actually just finishing up uh, kind of like a season wrap-up for uh, for ESPN Boston. I was just kind of looking at some of some of like the ruts, some of the struggles that they went through. And they, they had two different six-game winless streaks um, compounded by the fact that they opened up. It took them five games to get their first win. I mean – you just, you know, the thing is, like, you can every, – every MLS team is going to struggle at some point in the season, but I think that the key is, like, limiting those struggles. It's like, okay, you lose two, you lose three, okay, but you get back up and you you get back into form. And I, I felt like the Revs this year just they, – they, the, when, they, when they were in those valleys, they were in those valleys for too long, and that can be completely attributed to the fact of, you know, that whole goal differential, where, which is, you know, the defense was leaking goals, the offense – really took up until like the last two months of the season to really kind of find itself. The addition of Kai Kamara really didn't pay dividends until probably mid-September, which is, which is kind of crazy to think given, given the reputation he brought with him to, uh, to New England. So um, overall there was just, there just wasn't really any consistency up until, up until, you know, September and October. And by then, you know, it was, it was just too late. Was there too much complacency with this team? I mean, it's not. I don't, I don't want to talk about the players X. We'll get to that. But I don't, I don't know. If Greg has thoughts on this. But was there too much complacency where every year under Jay Heaps, it seems like there's been this big summer slump, and it's like, oh, they're just gonna get out of it this year. Like they have every other year, and it just went on and on this year, and they did get out of it. Yeah. But it was so bad yeah, at the beginning and, of the season. And, it was too late. Yeah, and I want to kind of build off what Brian said because I think everyone's gonna focus on the beginning of the season. But looking back, if you look through their schedule. I mean, the month of August was just disastrous, and it's that kind of typical summer slump that you mentioned. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's a motivation issue or, or what, but uh, this August they played six games. They got one point. It was from a draw. They got outscored 14-2. to two. And, I mean, these were teams they were playing. I mean, they lost to Orlando City. They lost to Toronto. They lost to Philadelphia. They lost to Columbus. They lost to the Red Bulls. I mean, those are Eastern Conference teams that they just didn't play well against. Those are key games. And, um, I mean, I don't want to speculate into whether or not it was complacency or motivation, but, I mean, this seems to happen every year where they just hit a rut and typically happens in the late summer months where um, they just don't get the results for whatever reason. So, I mean, it's easy to say, um, you know, it, it might just be com- uh, complacency, and 
I think I really focus on that uh, stretch of the season where, you know, that's the difference between a three, four, five seed and a non-playoff team, really. No, it definitely is. And I think that was another <laughs> another key point you brought up when you named the opponents they had in that stretch is, you know, those are all teams that are competing for, for those playoff spots. And I remember during the midseason slump, you know, everyone would say, oh, look, they got, you know, a game against Toronto, Chicago, Philadelphia, Columbus, all these games, this, this stretch coming up that's, you know, so key for, for this team to, you know, pull themselves out of the slump and it's still in their control. And then they just hit that streak and they lost all those games. Um, lost them pretty big in August, as you said. And then, you know, when they got to the end of the season, they had so much to do where they pretty much needed to win out to, to make the playoffs. Um, and they got some help along the way with some pretty poor results from, from Philadelphia, for example, who slumped into the playoffs. Um, but it just was, you know, they won five out of seven to end the season. And normally that's a very good run that would get you into the playoffs. But the, the, the this team just had so much to do. Um, and, you know, yeah, you have to wonder if, uh, you know, what's going to happen after this season. Because with the moves they made this year, it seemed like this was a team that was trying to go for it this year. Bringing in a guy like, like Kai Kamara, uh, who obviously didn't have the impact they wanted until towards the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. And I think... And I think they also they, they also rested a lot of their hopes on Kowasi. And, I mean, that was unfortunate. I mean, the fact that Xavier Kowasi had, you know, less than, like basically a week after they had signed him to a future contract, you know, he tears his ACL and he never suits up this year. I mean, I mean that's just – that it's bad luck. And, I mean, they, they tried to kind of mitigate their losses by bringing in by bringing in um, a guy like Gershon Kofi. Um, and, and he was certainly uh, – the move itself was, was, was a good move to make in the wake of – what happened to Kwasi, but obviously he wasn't a Kwasi, the kind of player that is going to um, fortify your midfield to the extent that, you know, at least the book on Kwasi um, says, you know, that, that, that the same kind of talent level that Kwasi would have brought. So I think that that hurt them. I mean, I think that was kind of like a, if you want to call it a bad omen, I guess that there's your bad omen for the year. Um, Kwasi getting, you know, basically ending a season before he even, before he even suits up for the Revs. Um, and I also think that, you know, even though they did go out and get, they went out and got Kamara, you know, in mid-May, they never really addressed the defensive issue. The, the defensive issues remained all year. I mean, if there was a, if there was a spot in the field where they really had to make a move in order to strengthen, um, any kind of, kind of late push they were going to make or any kind of run they were going to make, it was in the rear and they never made a move. They never went out and got a defender. Um, and that, you know, com- you know that compounded with the fact that there was instability at goalkeeper. I mean, it just you know it, it kind of doomed them even e- even before they uh, e- even before the the the, the All Star break, where it was a point where they were just leaking goals. And you know, you you think that you think they're going to bring in somebody during the uh, during the transfer window or before the trade deadline, and you know they they bring in Cody Cropper, and that's that was really the only move they made. And obviously, that kind of move isn't going to be the kind of move that's going to, you know, reverse their fortunes. It's interesting, though. I mean, I think as a Revolution fan, you're disappointed that they missed the playoffs. But I think looking back to what the Revolution did in the offseason and going into this year and the moves they made, I don't think this standing surprises anyone. I mean, their defense was exposed throughout the year. They I mean, I think everyone kind of knew that was the obvious area they didn't improve. And they made some small moves here and there, but nothing really – you knew that was going to be an issue throughout the season. And they did bring in Kamara, and they did bring in Kofi, but 
they never addressed the back line, like you said. And I think that ultimately was their downfall. Yeah, well, and you, you mentioned um, Kowalski uh, as, as a guy that they needed to, to replace Jermaine Jones with, with him leaving. Um, but at the same time, they always weren't going to get him till the end of the summer. So, well, well, it's a little bit of an excuse to say, well, you know, we hope we could get this guy in and, and, and go on a late stretch. I mean, by the time he would have played for this team anyways, they were pretty much done and buried because of how poorly they started the season. And, and, and even then, you have to look at how players generally do, um, with the exception of Jermaine Jones, who came in here and made a big impact his first season. Guys who joined from overseas midseason uh, generally don't have much of an impact their first year. So to, to rely on him to come in here and turn things around, uh, it's just I think it's just unrealistic to expect him to have turned the season around, even if he had been healthy, in the best-case scenario. Um, so I, I'm sure that's going to be an excuse we hear a lot of in this off season. But you know, like like was said, the defense was the the key issue for this team. Um, it was last year too. They lost AJ Soares, and the thought process seemed to be that well, we'll move Andrew Farrell, you know, inside, and right back's not as hard of a position to fill. So we'll you know we'll find someone to to plug in that hole. And um, you know, Woodbury did admirably for a little bit last year, uh, and you know, a few different guys played that position and, and did okay. Barnes. Also, at that point, and and now, you know, this this year they had Javon Watson, and again they tried Andrew Farrell in the center back, and finally, you know, after a year and a half under this experiment that wasn't really working very well, they decided to move him back to right back, um, and and then we're left with a huge hole at center back, uh, and we saw you know Woodbury play there, and you know he's a serviceable center back, but he's not a guy that you want starting every day in MLS, and I think Gonzalez too. Uh, hasn't been the same player he was when he first got here and won Defender of the Year. Um, but these are things that they knew, you know, two seasons ago. So the fact that you know here we are two seasons later and they still haven't found a replacement for AJ Soares uh, is is pretty bad and pretty is a pretty bad indictment of, of this of this team and, and what they've been able to do in the transfer windows. Um, and next year they could very well have to replace Gonzalez too. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this team goes into next year because we saw the issues going into this season. They didn't do anything. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, Brian, on, on if they're going to be able to fill those roles next year. But the issues that we saw this season weren't really new and weren't really unexpected. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they address like whatever holes do come up. Because I mean, you know, you know, you and I, we we talked to uh, Gonzalez after the uh, after the uh, Montreal game, and he was, you know, we asked him point blank, you know, is he going to be back next year? And he said no answer, which is obviously no comment, and obviously that's not the kind of thing you want to hear. From somebody who you know is one of your regulars on the back line, and somebody who isn't that far, who's only a couple, uh, two or three seasons removed from being the top defender in MLS. So um, that that seems to be probably the the most probably glaring need, given the fact that it looks, for all intents and purposes, like he's gone. So I think I think that's going to be the point in which the Revs actually finally say, okay, we actually need to go out and actually get a center back. Probably two center backs, given the fact that if Gonzalez is gone, it's it's not like they had you know a top trade center back playing right next to him um, with London Woodbury, who you said is is a serviceable player in his own right. But if London Woodbury is one of your starting center backs for 34 games, <laughs> you're not you're probably not in the best you're probably not in the best case it's probably not best case scenario for any MLS team. So um, you know it, it's obviously they're going to need at least one, if not two, center backs. Um, and the, and who knows? I mean they they. Could probably shore up, you know, their their midfield as well. I mean, for all that the uh, for all that the uh, you know all that they got out of Lee Wynn and, and and Juan Agudelo, who kind of like floated between striker and kind of the number ten. 
you know, they still need help because of the fact that, you know, Diego and, and Kellen and Kellen Rowe and, and guys and, and even Lee Wynn, I mean, they, they had decent years, but they weren't, you know, they weren't the kind of years that you're expecting out of players of that, of that talent, that quality. And I think it wouldn't hurt them to go out and get somebody who, bare minimum, at least pushes them for minutes and at least creates more competition in that midfield. Because I think I don't think there was a lot of competition in the midfield this year. It seems like, you know, the guys that played were kind of like, you know, the, their roles were, you know, hey, you're going to start. I mean, Diego was one of them, and Callum was one of them, and Lee was one of them. And I almost felt like there really wasn't – the competition really wasn't there to really, like, push them where, where it has been in years past. So I would look at – I look at defense, and I would actually look at – um the midfield as as two areas that the that the refs could certainly look at towards uh towards improving during the offseason i think they are still missing that big piece too i mean you saw jermaine jones two years ago come in and totally change kind of add that competitive fire uh that i think is kind of missing that kind of brian is talking about um i think maybe they were hoping they could bring kamara when they traded for him and it would have the same effects but it, it, it clearly didn't and i agree with brian i mean outside of the obvious holes you have at center back where, you know, they've had enough difficulty replacing one center back. They're probably going to have to find two center backs in the off season. I think you do need to have some spark plug somewhere on the field that um, creates chances and, and really gets, uh, gets the pieces on this team moving. Cause you look around the field and there's a lot of good pieces, but there's no one that you really have that, takes over a game, uh, in my opinion. Um, but they have certainly the supporting cast there to really make a, make a deep playoff run. I, I really don't think this team is missing too much, but they really need a star player here. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Greg. Oh, I'm, I, I just want to say, I think one thing with, with the whole Jermaine thing, and I'm glad you brought it up, Greg, is the fact that I think with, I think with Jermaine, I, I think it kind of, I think it kind of lulled them into the sense that they could possibly catch lightning in a bottle again, but that's exactly to me what Jermaine was. He was lightning in a bottle. He was, he was the rare kind of signing that really does everything you could possibly ask for. And then some, um, not only on the field, but off the field, he brought the locker room together. I mean, he really kind of like put the team on his shoulders when they brought him in in August and really kind of steered them towards, towards the brink of a championship. And I think, the fact that that occurred maybe maybe gave the Revs this kind of sense that you know they could do it again. They could find another player who could do that again. And I think that that in itself obviously is is not the right kind of thinking you have for any MLS team because right. the the kind of players the Jermaine Joneses of of the league come like you know once once in a blue moon and to to bank on one player. And I almost think that they almost did the same with Kawasi where they said, okay, this is going to be the guy that's going to get us, that's going to have that push. Who cares if he's not going to be here until July 1st? He's going to do it for us. And I felt like they put all their eggs in one basket with him. And when he didn't, when he got hurt, I mean, that was kind of like, all right, well, now what? I mean, there's, there really was no there really was no plan B or there was really no – the supporting cast around him wasn't strong enough to, to, to keep this ship afloat. Yeah, and we don't know what Klausi was going to be anyways. It was great what Jermaine did, but Klausi doesn't have the, the resume that Jermaine Jones does. Obviously, he's a bit younger, which is, is, a, is a positive – um, but, you know, playing in Switzerland and playing in the Bundesliga and playing for the U.S. national team are, are two very different propositions. So, I mean, I'll be interested to see what he provides to this team next year. And certainly from the highlight reels, we've seen he's an exciting talent, but obviously none of us have seen him to the extent that we saw Jermaine Jones before he came to the revolution. Um, so I, I mean, what we saw from Jermaine Jones, um, and even more so than I expected, was his ability to pass the ball 
um, and, and spread the ball out in midfield. And I think that helped guys like Lee Wynn, that helped guys like Conroe, Diego Fagundes, uh, tremendously was his ability to, to spray the ball out wide and, and find those great passes. Um, I'm not sure if Kowalski is that guy. I haven't seen enough from the highlights. I have seen, uh, I've seen him make some great runs and, you know, score some nice goals, but I'm not sure he's that type of player. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, I think they have a lot of nice pieces in midfield and maybe they have some guys that they could, could trade there. Um, they don't have the game changer. We, we saw that Lee Wen, uh, earlier on his time as a Revs looked like he could be that type of game changer, but, for whatever reason, defenses seem to have figured him out, and he's become more predictable. Um, but, you know, like you talk about, there, hasn't, there wasn't much competition on the wings this year uh, and, and in the midfield this year. And a guy like Teal Bunbury, who they, you know, put a decent amount of money into to get him to stay here with a, with a new contract a couple years ago, uh, I think he was a big disappointment this year, and they didn't get much out of him. Yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree Sean. I think uh, he was basically pretty much absent down the stretch. When the team was succeeding, like when, when, the, when the pieces were really starting to click and they were in there 4-4-2, I mean, really, Bunbury was kind of like a guy who was kind of like left on the sidelines. He would come on as a sub, and he was kind of like the forgotten man down the stretch. And um, you know, I mean, if that's if that's the case, like you said, if they if they invested that kind of money in him, and you know, he's basically reserved to the role of substitute when the team is on fire. I mean, I think that speaks volumes as to how much more how much more competition, how much more um, depth they need, at least quality quality. Uh, depth in the midfield that they need in order to kind of like lift lift the rest of the team and to to really make it a competition every week because we all know we all we've all heard Jay say you know jobs are usually won on the on the training field and you know when that's the case I you know at least from what we've seen when that's the case the team seems to respond I mean that's that's certainly the way the sense I got when when Jermaine was in town when Jermaine was here you know it seemed like he really like single-handedly raised everyone's game because it wasn't just Jay demanding more from the players. It was, it was Jermaine dem- demanding more from the players. And when you have that, when you have that kind of piece, and when you do have players like Jermaine, maybe not the same echelon, but maybe the same kind of like intensity and, and quality, uh, you know, the team responds. And the fact that they didn't have a player like that, or they didn't really have much depth uh, in the midfield, I, I think kind of like spoke to the fact that the, the team struggled with guys like Lee struggled uh, for for much of the season, um, and that by the time that they things did start to click, no, it was too late. You bring up a couple of good points there, though, and, and one of them is about sort of leadership. When you talk about Jermaine Jones and what he brought on the field, and I think we heard a lot this year about lack of leadership within this team, um, and that's something that yeah, with losing Jermaine Jones, you're losing a, a great leader. But it's a little bit surprising with the you know the, the veterans on this team. Uh, you know, guys like Chris Tierney that have been here for a long time, guys like Gonsalves who have, you know, been here for a long time, experienced veterans, um, you know, even Lee Wynn who's been here for you know, a while now and is an experienced veteran. And, you know, even adding a guy like Javon Watson who's been in the league a long time, uh, it, it didn't seem like any true leader emerged on this team this year. We saw some different captains throughout the season, um, but nobody really stepped up in, in Jermaine, Jones act, Jermaine Jones' absence, at least from what we were seeing on the outside. Uh, and is that that has to be a bit of a disappointment, given that there you know there are some veteran players on this team. Um, there, there did seem to be a bit of a lack of leadership, or at least a lack of these guys that could could motivate their teammates. Because we saw this team come out flat a lot this year, and it, we didn't see much done to change it um, on the field. Yeah, and you know the other thing too is this core has been together for a long time. I mean, it, you just listed off all the players that have been on this team for a while it's not like I could certainly understand if a DP comes in mid-season and might have uh, difficulty 
kind of gelling with the new teammates or, you know, uh, Kai Kamara came over and wasn't really impactful at the beginning, but certainly, you know, bagged a few goals towards the end of the year. Um, but, you know, we mentioned Teal Bunbury. I mean, this is a guy, this is his third year with the team, and he got two goals, two assists, and he appeared in, I think, 20 games this year, uh, 19 games. He played in over 1,600 minutes. I mean, this is a guy that they traded a first-round pick for, and, yeah, as you said, they gave him an extension. They had high hopes for him. He was a starter at the beginning of the year. And coming into this season, going into next year, I mean, I would assume he's going to be protected at the expansion draft. But, I mean, does he really project to be anything more than a reserve kind of bench player at this point? Um, It's just really kind of disappointing to see these players that – um, you kind of expected a certain performance from, and you know, someone like Bunbury was a major bust this year, in my opinion. Yeah, he absolutely was, and part of what we saw in the preseason was them playing him more out of necessity as the lone striker, and he had a little bit of success there. And then we saw them try that a bit at the, at the beginning of this year, and that obviously didn't work out. And then um, you know, they played him on the wing a bit when they were doing the four-five-one, and he doesn't really have a spot in the the four-four-two that they played towards the end of the year, unless you put him up top and. The way Juan Aguadello and Kai Kamara were playing down the stretch, there was no way he was getting up there. Um, so, you know, he has to earn his way back into the field, and it's disappointing that he doesn't seem to, to be showing um, that he can right now. Uh, but, you know, an interesting point is what happens with, with Kai Kamara, because we heard, you know, last year I'm talking about retirement um, after a season like this where the, the team disappointed and, you know, until the end of the year he didn't play particularly well himself. Um, I'm curious to see what, where, where his head is going into the offseason because if they were to, to lose him, uh, I think that would make this season even more of a disaster based on what they gave up for him and, and you know, based on where they'd be left next year if they, if they had ended up losing him. So that, there's a lot of interesting aspects going into the offseason and moving pieces. Um, but just the way that, that he and Aguadelo played down the stretch was one of the few promising things for this team. Um, and I think that's something that keeps Teal Bunbury on the bench, and that's something that becomes troublesome if, if for whatever reason, Kai Kamara isn't back next season. Yeah, if, if Kamara isn't back next season, I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, that finding somebody of, of his quality and somebody that, that even though it took him a few months to kind of mesh into the system and to, and to really kind of come into his own once they finally tweak the formation, um, you know, once you have that, once you have somebody who is acclimated to the, to, to the, to the formation, to the, to the style of play, and the style of play is more complementary to the way he plays. Um, you know, it would, I think it would be, I think it would certainly set the offense back tremendously if they weren't able to bring him back, or if he, or if he decided to, uh, to or if he decided to call it a career. So, I think that's got to be a priority. I think they, I think that they, if it haven't, if they haven't already, I think you know, the powers that be, like Jay Heaps and Michael Burns, need to start talking to Kai about, you know, what his plans are for next year because. Honestly, if he if he's not coming back, or if there's any indication that he's not coming back, you know that just that that means they've really got to they've really got to hit the pavement hard and trying to find somebody who's who at least projects to be somebody who can at bare minimum give you you know ten goals a season and can operate within that four four two. If the four four two is exactly what they're going to stick with next year, because who knows maybe maybe you know with the players that they get and the players that they lose, you know they they possibly go back to the uh, four five one who knows but again that's that's another another interesting thing to to think about during this offseason is to who they lose who they bring in and whether or not and how that impacts the formation as to whether or not we see the four four two again next year to start or if we or if heaps really does have you know his his uh 
his uh, you know focus set on bringing back the four five one, just with better players and, and players who uh, you know who comp- who work within that system better better in that um, than the four four two. So um, you know the formation is obviously one thing, and you know bringing back Kamara will would be huge um, in order for this team to at least have at least have some sort of hope. That you know that next year will be <laughs> much much better than it was than than what the first uh, the first four or five months of this this year were. Yeah, and I don't necessarily buy that Kamara is just going to ride off into retirement, ride off into the sunset. But I certainly do wonder, you know, if he wasn't necessarily happy in Columbus, is he going to want to stick around in New England if they keep getting these? Um, you know, mediocre results where they're on the cusp of the playoffs. So I'm, I'm kind of 50, 50 on whether I think they're going to keep Kamara just because I, I certainly could see them going right back to that four, five, one and trusting Aguadelo up top. Um, but certainly I think, you know, based on his performance towards the stretch, uh, you, as a revolution fan, you have to hope that they keep him. Yeah, I was, not too hopeful to be honest about the combination of Aguadelo and Kai Kamara as, as your two strikers up top. I didn't think they would complement each other very well, but it, it worked out. And part of that was because Aguadelo uh, finally started looking like the player that we'd all hoped that we'd see out of him when the revolution brought him back. He was so good for the revolution in, in, you know, in 2013 and you know the past couple of years when he's been back here, we just haven't seen that. And consistency has been a big issue for him. But down the stretch, he finally showed some consistency. If he can bring that into next year, that's certainly something to give Revolution hope. And if Kai Kamara is back next year, that's certainly something that can give you know, Revolution fans hope. Um, and, and we talked about the midfield a bit um, and, and the needs there and the need to have more competition there. Um, but up top, I think you have you know, one of the best strike pairings in the league on paper with those two players if they're both healthy and fit and in form. Uh, so that's an, an area where the Revolution are in good shape. Um, I'm not sure Teal Bunbury, if he's your, your third option, he's in great shape, but it, you, you based on what we were saying earlier. Um, but you do have a guy like, like Femi who, when he was healthy, showed he could do something as a rookie. So I, I think up top they have some good options if everyone comes back. Um, and and as, we, as we talked about earlier, the big issue still is defense. And I, I do want to talk about Gonzalez a little bit because you know we mentioned that his comments at the end of the last game didn't sound too hopeful for him to be back. Um, but should he be back with this team? Because he's making you know, $450,000, $480,000 uh, actually this year. And I didn't think his performance has justified that. I didn't think his performance last year justified that either. Um, I, I think he's been a pretty huge disappointment ever since that, that Defender of the Year uh, playing, I, I, ever since he won Defender of the Year. But on the, on the flip side, um, this team hasn't been able to bring in a, a center back to bring in AJ to replace A.J. Soares. So what are the chances that they're going to be able to bring in a center back to replace A.J. Soares in Gonsalves because they still need to replace Soares going into the next season as well? Uh, so I'm kind of torn on, on the Gonsalves situation because I don't think he's lived up to his contract, and I think they could do better than him. They just haven't shown they can do better than him, you know, based on these past two years and their inability to replace Soros. Yeah, and, and and even if we go back even further to to the point before Gonsalves got here, remember he was a kind of a guy that you know for all intents and purposes was kind of a guy that they they struck gold on. I mean, he was a guy that was much much traveled in Europe, a guy who moved from fourth division soccer club. in Switzerland. <laughs> Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, I remember when they made the signing, it was like, okay, I mean, you know, he was, I mean, they they certainly got him on a good deal, considering that FC Scion was paying the 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 bulk of his of his hefty, hefty contract. 
So I think they really, really struck gold. I mean, in that sense, you know, if you look back at the whole, the whole, you know, uh, premise of, of bringing him here and him playing here, and then you know having his having a great year his first year, and then somewhat regressing over the years since. Um, you know, the fact that they what they got out of him in the in the first place was kind of surprising, um, and they were they kind of lucked out with him in the sense that um, you know maybe he wasn't as good as his. Um, as his first year in the league, and sure, the last two years, he his performances weren't really commensurate with what he was making. I mean, he was a designated player this year, and for part to of the see year. him make the kind of mistakes he made this year, where it was kind of it was kind of mind-boggling. Um, and you would think that of of all the players that were that you could get the most out of. I mean, he. I don't think any of us can say that they got the most out of Gonzalez this year. So, um, you know, I think to go back to finding somebody to replace him. And somebody who can at least give you reliability. Maybe you don't need, you know, you don't need a pair of MLS defenders of the year. You just need two quality center backs. Um, and if they can do that, you know, I think they'll be in much better shape than they are right now. But the thing is, it's a matter of doing that. It's a matter of finding. It's it's a matter of not relying on striking gold again. It's a matter on of you know talent development, finding the players, not only identifying the players, but bringing those players in and 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 you know. If they have to spend a little bit more money than they normally would, you know, then that's something that they have to do. That's something that they have to think long and hard about because otherwise, you know, as of right now, if Gonzalez isn't coming back, your center backs right now are basically London Woodbury and possibly Andrew Farrell if they decided to move him back to center back. So, or, or Javon um, Watson playing out of position or maybe Darius Barnes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing is, I mean, as of right now, if, if, if we're reading between the lines as far as, the whole center back situation with Gonzalez comments after the Montreal game, you're basically left with, you know, you're basically left with guys who are either, you know, it's not their national position or somebody who has like no experience. And, you know, we looked at what they tried to do with, with, with Samba. I mean, that was a complete failure. And they, 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 they thought they they identified this guy as somebody who could, you know, at bare minimum, give them depth. And he was gone before the end of the season. So, I mean, They've just got to do a much better of a job of, uh, of of identifying center backs, of identifying quality center backs, not not guys they're taking flyers on, but actually identifying guys who have proven themselves either in MLS or in other leagues and bringing them in. And, and if they have to pay a premium to do so, then that's something that they have to do. It's the cost of business. And I'll, I'll touch on both points here, but first I want to get to, I mean, whether or not you retain Jose Gonzalez. I mean, there obviously is the issue of who do you have replaced him. But other than that, I can't think of a good reason to why he should stay. And part of that goes into his salary. I mean, I, he's getting a, a 450000 That That's a big salary for the reps. And, I mean, in theory, that could pay for two center backs. Like you said, you don't need all pro players. You don't need two DPs back there. You just need two serviceable players, which – they can't seem to find, but and with four hundred fifty thousand dollars, you should be able to do that. But the other thing too, which I think should be brought up, is that you know a few years ago he had his disputes with management um, after he won uh, MLS Defender of the Year. Um, he kind of seemed to be at odds about his contract. There were talks about him wanting to go back to Portugal. Um, it seems to me like it just feels like his time is done here, and I don't know if he's mentally checked out or if he's looking forward to leaving or if just for whatever reason, I just think he doesn't really want to be in new England anymore. He's ready to accept that his career here is over. Um, Maybe it's that he doesn't have another 
uh, center back partner that he meshes well with. Maybe it's the underachievement of the team the past few years, but um, I just think bringing him back, you're going to get these mediocre performances. Uh, maybe not mediocre, but um, you, you're not going to get the guy that won defender of the year a few years ago. I, I just think that's not coming back. And at that price, I mean, realistically, it's just not worth the cost. Um, the other thing, too, in terms of identifying center backs, uh, one thing that I was going through today was um, the Revolution had the number 10 pick last year. Do you guys know who they took? McCrary. Jordan McCrary. Yeah. Jordan McCrary. <laughs> so he, he, had one, he had one appearance with the Rhinos. Uh, I don't see him fitting in the, the lineup in the back line. I don't know how well he's going to do, but – I think it's noteworthy that two picks later was Jonathan Campbell of the Chicago Fire, and he turned in a pretty good season. I mean, they're not, you know, that's not a DP, that's not an international scouting, that's the super draft, and there's a perfectly good center back that they just missed on. So, I mean, they they can, these guys are available, they just need to do a better job, like you said, Brian, of, of finding these, these the talent and getting it on the team. Yeah, and you, you talk about the first round. In the second round, they drafted Michael Gamble at the 30th overall pick, which isn't that late in the Super Draft, who, who didn't even end up make the team. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that in the past, you know, this, the one thing you could count on from this team is that they'd have a you know, decent Super Draft, and they'd bring in you know, one or two players there that would contribute. But we haven't seen that recently. Some of that's been because they've traded picks. Uh, this year has been you know, just bad drafting. Um, but that goes to another thing that I think we're going to save for, for later in the show, but I, th- I think we're, we're getting to it now and, and going around the topic is, is what changes need to be made as far as coaching um, and, and front office. Uh, but you, you talk about Jordan McCrary. I think that was a move that was made because they were so set on Andrew Farrell at center back at that point that they thought they needed a right back. Uh, they ended up getting Javon Watson who could play there as well, but uh, that move just looks like a pretty boneheaded and dumb move now that Andrew Farrell is your right back because – uh, he's obviously going to be your starter there going forward as long as he's on this team. He's a guy that's shown time and time again he can be a you know, quality right back, has a few areas he needs to work on his game. But I, I think if you had realized you know, five months earlier or three or four months earlier than you realized that Andrew Farrell you know, wasn't going to be a center back, uh, that they wouldn't have drafted Jordan McCrary. And now that that pick was just a complete waste, um, I don't think he has any trade value because he didn't play at all this year. Uh, and, and unless something significant changes next year, just I can't see him finding much playing time. So uh, it's it's been some very questionable decisions made by this team that you know, left him in a tough spot. And uh, it, it, we talked a lot about their inability to replace AJ Soares. Uh, I think you have to look to the the front office and and you know Mike Burns and the general manager and what this team has been able to to do as far as bringing players in, and it hasn't been good enough. No, it certainly hasn't been. And and that's the thing is, I mean, I, I think you have to go back to the whole idea of just like. Player valuations. I mean, to I think that's I think you made a great point, Sean, in the sense that you know they probably drafted McCrary with the understanding that Farrell was was there was going to be one of their center backs for the future going forward, and to see them basically cut ties on that idea mid season and say, okay, well we're scrapping that idea, we're sending you back to right back, and we're going to plug in London Woodbury next to uh, next to jo- uh, next to Jose Gonzalez. You know, it it kind of speaks to their it kind of speaks to a weakness in, in, in not, not being able to accurately, you know, evaluate their talent. I mean, you know, they, they, the whole idea of Andrew Farrell, who is probably one of the better, one of the better center backs, at least one of the best young center backs 
in the league to shift him over to center back because they weren't able to bring in somebody to just to uh, to take AJ Stores' spot. I mean, to me, it kind of speaks to almost like uh, almost almost a systematic failure that you know the most critical area for most soccer teams is right in the back, and the fact that they whiffed on so many of their so many of their not only player movements but of their experiments, such as moving foul to center back, um, you know, and and kind of having players like that, you know, playing them out of position and not really having like a really a set plan as to what they're going to do, at least a plan that doesn't that lasts beyond a season. I guess it just speaks to to me speaks to a, a, a an inability to not only identify talent but also evaluate the talent that they have. And if you can't, if neither of those things are working, <laughs> I, I think the, I think serious questions have to be asked of of who's evaluating the talent, of who's evaluating the talent, who's identifying the talent, and you know who's making the decisions as far as you know building the roster goes. So I think I think you know both Heaps and Burns both need to be taken to need to be taken to task on on their failures in the rare because I think it speaks to the decisions that they've made over the last two years. And I'll, I'll take kind of more of a sympathetic view, but I think it's no secret that the revolution management don't have the same resources. They don't have the same scouts as other teams in the league. Um, I think Sean, you mentioned previously that uh, Jay heaps made a comment that he was going to Switzerland every week or every day he had off to scout Kawasi. And the question comes up, why is Jay heaps doing that? I mean, how it, it, it raises the question that, even if Jay Heaps is the right guy and even if Burns is the right guy, they need to reevaluate how they scout and they need to reevaluate how they identify talent um, because they just haven't brought in anything in a while. They struck gold with Gonzalez and outside of that, they really haven't brought in anyone that they found themselves. They brought in Kamara and they brought in Jermaine Jones, but everyone knew who Jermaine Jones and, and Kai Kamara were. So um, I think they need to reevaluate how they're, finding talent, how they're drafting, um, and hope they, they can bring in some new talent for the next season. Because, I mean, what they, did, what they did last year just didn't work. As you said, they, it seemed more like they were, you know, they were, they were putting a, a, a Band-Aid on something that needed surgery. I mean, the back line was a total mess, and everyone knew it, and, and they just didn't address it. Moving Andrew Farrell to center back, I think, was predictably not that great of a move. I just think they do need to reevaluate how they do things. Yeah, and, and, and you brought up a, a few good points, and one of it is the resources. You look at the, you know, the coaching staff of, of this team, and you know, it's Jay Heaps, Tommy, Tommy Sowen, Remy Roy. Am I, am I missing anybody there? It's, it's a pretty thin coaching staff um, where teams like the Galaxy, the Sounders, have you know, more than two times as many coaches on their staff, and that gives them the ability to go out and, and scout um, so you, when you look at the players that the Revolution have brought in, guys like uh, Gonsalves, who you know is, has come in um, on trial before the team signed him, um, and yeah, you have to question that. Why is this team only signing guys that they can bring in on trial first? Because generally those aren't the most desirable players. You know, it worked out with Gonsalves, it's worked out with a few other guys, but in, in general, when a guy is available on trial, it's because other teams don't think that highly of him or don't think highly enough of him to, to offer him a contract uh, without a trial. Because uh, players generally don't do that, um, but you know, you, some of the, the blame certainly has to fall on the resources. Uh, and, and yeah, Heaps and, and Burns probably haven't done a good, as good enough job as they should have in identifying talent. But they really are in, in a tight spot um, where, in a lot of cases, they need to bring these guys in on trial, or they can't properly scout them because 
you know, during the season, Heaps needs to be there coaching the team. Uh, Tommy Sowen probably needs to be there coaching the team too, because you know Heaps can't do it all by himself. Um, whereas if you're the you know the Galaxy or the Sounders and you have multiple assistant coaches, it's it's not as big of a deal to to go send one over to Europe to scout or send one to South America to scout. They they just don't have that ability here. So um, and while I do certainly place blame on on Mike Burns and the players that they have brought in, the players that they failed to bring in, um, a lot of it does, as Greg as Greg pointed out, need to fall on on the resources that they have and the inability for for them to have more just pure numbers to go ahead and, and do these things. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely, absolutely the case. I think, uh, like, like you said, Sean, and like you said, Greg, like, you know, they, they certainly don't, the, the infrastructure for, uh, you know, for recruiting talent, for identifying talent and bringing in that talent um, just obviously isn't there the way it is maybe, at, you know, maybe with the Red Bulls or the Galaxy or the Sounders, um, you know. So it's certainly, I mean, certainly they're, they're not operating with the same resources that those teams are. And you're you're seeing it some with some of the signings, and that's that's almost to be expected um, that they're not they're they're not going to hit home runs on every signing, or maybe even on the majority of their signings, because they simply just don't have you know the resources to 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 hit those home runs. They don't have you know like you know like you guys had mentioned like you know with if Heaps is going to Switzerland five times a winter to scout one player. Then you know that he's he's got other things to do like like putting like like you know game planning and, and thinking about what he's going to do with his team for the preseason. So I mean you know certainly there could be more put into the front office, um, but I also think that there is um, you know I, one thing I've always said is that if if you don't in the absence of having the resources available to scout guys in Europe to scout guys you know globally look within the league. I mean. Who knows the league better than Jay Heaps? I mean, who knows the league better than Mike Burns? These are guys who not only play, but they've also, you know, been been managers or or, or front office people, you know, almost since day one. So I mean, I think I think in the absence of having those resources, I think they should do a better job. And I've always said it like they they should do a better job of looking within the league, identifying players within the league. And I think they did that well with Teal Bunbury at the time. At the time, Teal Bunbury, you know, they brought him in for a first round pick. And I actually thought that was a smart pick. I actually thought that I thought that was a smart move because, you know, they brought in a player who's MLS ready right off the bat in exchange for a slot for a player who may not be ready right off the bat. I thought that was a genius move. I thought that was a very good move. I also thought that bringing in Kai Kamara was a good move because he was a known quantity. He wasn't somebody that Jay or Mike or anybody else had to go to, you know, Scotland or Switzerland to go scout. So I think that yeah, so I think that, you know, the the idea of if you can't look outside, look, you know, look inside, look within the league. There are quality players in the league. And, I mean, obviously they only have so many track picks and so much allocation money to work with, but I think the focus should remain looking within the league and pulling pulling the deals that, that, that make them stronger. And I think they've done that a couple of times. I think they, they could have done it a few more times, though. Hey, you bring up a great point because I, I wanted to look at a team like Toronto, and I know I brought it up in the, before the season started, and you look at what they did to, you know, we can all look at Toronto now and see how improved they were this year. And, yeah, part of that was, you know, guys like Altidore and Bradley perhaps having a better season. But you look at the moves that they made within the league in the offseason, uh, you know, bringing in a guy like Drew Moore, a guy like Stephen Badisher, two of the, you know, consistent defenders in this league. They, you know, Drew Moore, they signed on a, a, a free transfer. Uh, Badisher, they gave a second-round pickup for. Um, those are two guys that could have really helped the revolution this season. But we didn't see the Revolution make that kind of move. They also brought in, you know, Will Johnson, who I think started more than half the games for for Toronto. So this is a team now that I think some of us look at as contenders this year um, that went out and 
brought in you know, three or four key players from within the league. Uh, and they were all players that could have helped the Revolution had the Revolution made those moves, but the Revolution didn't make any moves like that. Yeah, and to build off of what Brian said, I mean, you look at the Revolution roster, I mean, the guys they've brought in, Lee Wynn, Kai Kamara, uh, most of them outside of Gonzalez and I guess Cropper now is in that category. No one really came from overseas. And I feel like other MLS teams are going to beat you in the overseas game. And, I mean, really, if the Revolution do make some smart signings and some smart trades, the, the players they've added from the MLS have been good. You mentioned Bunbury. I think that was a great deal also. I'll give you another one, uh, Brad Knighton. They, they gave up virtually nothing for Knighton. I think it was a fourth-round pick a few years ago. He's been a serviceable backup. He stepped up this year. Um, I, I mean, I know that's not a huge splash or anything like that, but that's a piece they added for basically free. Teams forfeit the fourth-round draft picks now. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm not sure if allocating more of their scouting to MLS and putting more eggs in that basket will, um, help them replace talent, but they certainly have a better track record of staying domestically and adding players that way than bringing in someone from Europe who seems more or less like a crapshoot. Yeah. And I'll give them some credit too, because I think that Kofi trade was a smart move that they made, especially with Kowalski going down. Um, the the Kamara trade seemingly came out of nowhere with him imploding in the locker room over in Columbus and becoming available. Um, so that was, you know, again, I'll give him credit for making that move, uh, but that was one that, you know, I don't think they were necessarily proactive on. I think it was one where he became available and then they went out and made it, which is great. Uh, but, you know, what had happened, what would have happened had he not become available? And here it is, you know, May 12th that they, had gotten to and you know still had a, a roster that just wasn't good enough at that point. Um, but yeah, I think they did make some moves this year within the league that were that were decent. I think the Javon Watson move was was good. Again, he was a guy that you know made it known and became available because he wanted to be you know, closer to to Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, again, good good on them to go make that move. But a lot of these these moves they ne- haven't necessarily gone out there and tried to find who was available. A guy became known to be available and they went out there and, and, and made the move and you know, good on them for getting it. But it does seem like that's an area that they could do more in uh, to improve and that they kind of need to, because you know, as, as we've said, they don't have the resources to, to scout internationally that they need. Uh, and until they have them, they have to find other ways to improve. Uh, but this team, you know, has a lot of good pieces. So that, I think that's what makes it even more disappointing this year is that, Guys like Lee Wen aren't getting any younger. Guys like Gonzalez aren't getting any younger, uh, and, and they haven't, you know, they have wasted their talent this year by not giving them the, you know, the two or three pieces that this team needs to to actually be a, a team that could push for, you know, one of the top seeds in the East. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, Sean, I mean, these guys are not getting younger. I mean, you know, we we talk about the 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 young core. We talk about you know the the Diego Fagundeses and the and the Kellen Rose and and maybe to a lesser extent the Lee Wins, even though Lee's you know pushing thirty. It's you know, these guys are not getting younger, and at some point you have to – you kind of have to kind of step back and say, okay, well, are these guys getting better? I mean, you would argue that Kellen Rowe and Diego Fagundes have almost regressed since their career years in 2013. I mean, after that year, you know, even though they only went to the um, – they only went to the uh, conference semis that year, I would say that, that that team, for the talent it had, really – I mean, to that point, it looked like that that team was going to take off. It looked like the Reds were going to take off from that point. And when you had Diego scoring 13 goals, you had Kellen Rowe like racking up eight assists, eight goals, I think, that year. 
And it looked like those two guys were ready to make the next, like take the next step. And they've almost done the exact opposite. They've become lesser versions of those of their 2013 selves. So you almost have to wonder whether or not, you know, the guys, you know, to, to get these guys either back on track or to say, okay, we've pushed them as far as we can go. Maybe it's time to go in another direction. I don't know because this young core is not going to stay young very long. And the guys who are young and the guys who are like, you know, 25, 26, you know, the question becomes, well, are you doing enough to, to really, you know, bring out the best in their games? And I would, I would argue that one, one, one thing that to me has kind of spoken to just a general, a general, uh, you know, a general failure on, on, on the team, whether it's heaps or burns or whoever, a failure on their part is the fact that they, they haven't gotten more from the Goonies and they haven't gotten more from Roe since the, since their banner, banner years in 2013. So it is time, time to start asking the question as to whether or not, you know, is it time to let these guys go? Is it time to bring in new, a new core, so to speak, because the core that they have right now, for all we talk about it really hasn't collectively made the next step. And it's been a year or two since, since it seemed like they were ready to make that next step. I think, though, it might be, and this is, you know, totally opinion, I feel like it more has to do with a little bit of the first scenario where it probably is just missing that key player that motivates people and gets the best out of people. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a little too early to say, to give up on a Kellen Rowe who's 24, um, you know, uh, Andrew Farrell's 24, Kellen Rowe's 24, Scott Caldwell's 25, uh, those guys were two, three, and four in minutes on the Revolution. Uh, I mean, this is still a young team. They're still going to experience some bumps. Certainly, Farrell's move to center back didn't help him progress in, in a lot of ways. I'm sure we agree. But, um, you know, and then you add in Aguadal's at 23, Fagundes is 21. This is still a very young team. So I'm not totally scared off by their regression. I'm not totally convinced that that um, speaks to their talent. I certainly do think there is a lot of potential, but it ties back into the first point, which is that, you know, Lee wins now 30. Kai Kamara is, I believe, 31. Um, 32. You know, 32. They're not going to have three or four more years. You know, when these guys are turning 28, 29, if they're still on the revolution, the Lee win is, Lee win isn't going to be there. So there is a bit of sense of urgency that, you know, you need that player that brings everything together, that gets the best out of a Cullen Rowe. But at the same time, does it while you have Lee Wynn playing at his best and Kai Kamara playing at his best? I think that's a, a key point is that we, you know, in spells, these guys have looked good. And I think Kellen Rowe, uh, to give him some credit, I think he, had, he was better this year than he was last year. And I think he had, you know, one of yeah. one of his better seasons, although, yeah, 2013 might have been his best. Um, I think he was one of the more consistent players in the team this year, even when he was asked to play different positions, which is a knock that I've had on him in the past is consistency. And Fagundes, that's certainly a knock on him as consistency. Uh, we saw a few games this year, including the last game of the season, where that offense was really clicking on all cylinders. And, and Rowe and, and, and Wynn and Diego looked you know, at their best. And the three of them, when they're at their best, combined phenomenally well with each other. And when they're playing off a guy like Juan Aguadelo or a guy like Kai Kamara, uh, to a lesser extent, I, the, the three of them can do really impressive things, can be really fun to watch. But the problem is we just don't see it enough. It's and it's not like an, an, even in every other game thing where we see it. It's a maybe you know once every four or five games we see all these guys on the same page and, it, and it's great and it looks like a team that can can beat anybody. But we just don't see it enough. And I don't know if that's because of a lack of leadership, because of you know losing a guy like Jermaine Jones that could you know maybe push everybody forward and, and make sure that 
everybody is playing their best and, and give that motivation. But you know, that's really been the problem with this team is that there is the talent to me, offensively anyways, is there. I think defensively it's not there, but offensively the talent is there and we just don't see the consistency enough and we just don't you know, see the guys combining as well as they could be. Um, but just from what we've seen in spells from, from Lee Wynn, uh, Kellen Rowe, Diego Fagundes, you know, and Juan Aguadelo and Kai Kamara, this should be an offense that you know puts up a lot of goals, and, and every day and every game looks like a threat to score you know two, three, four goals. Uh, but you know there'll be games where they look that way, and then the next game they'll you know struggle to get a shot on target. So it's it's definitely a consistency thing, and it, and that's what makes this team especially frustrating because at times you know it does look like a team that can beat anybody. And just one more thing about Kellen Rowe. I mean, I know we kind of talk about his consistency, and yes, that's an issue. Um, you know, his passing accuracy could be better. But, you know, on paper, this is a 24-year-old guy who's versatile. He can play a lot of spots in the midfield, and he scored five goals and gave you six assists in the season. I mean, a lot of teams would take that out of a 24-year-old midfielder. I think it's just that it might be an issue of we've seen better from him before, and I think our standards might be higher than him, uh, uh, higher of him. Uh, I should say he, he's still a good player. He's still a great contributor to the team. Um, uh, I, I mean, if we can get a, if the revolution can get him back to where he was in the past, I mean, he, he's a great player. Well, is that another indictment on the, the coaching staff that, you know, you, they're struggling to get consistency out of these players. They're struggling. You know, and again, like I was saying, it's not, you know, every once in a while, these guys have a bad game. It's, you know, you never know who's going to show up in a, in a particular day. And does some of that fall on the coaching staff as far as getting the best out of these players every game? I think I think it definitely falls on the coaching staff because of the because you know their job is to motivate these guys. It's their job to prepare these guys day in and day out. Not only just on the field, not only you know on game day, but also during during training. So I think I think the fact that they that you know we haven't seen. Uh, consistent. We haven't seen consistency from these, from you know the Callan Rose and Lee Wins and you know Diego Fagundes is that that I think that's it's a little bit of an indictment on the coaching staff that you know it's their job to prepare them, it's their job to get them ready for game day, it's re- it's their job to get the most out of them because when you have the kind of talent that we're talking about, you know this. I mean, e- even the guys in the locker room after the game on Sunday were saying, you know, it's crazy to think that all the talent that we have and they're not making the playoffs. I mean, to me, that speaks. I think that speaks volumes to the coaching staff not getting enough out of their players. Because you know, typically speaking, like in sports, when you have the talent and then the talent isn't rising to the occasion, the talent isn't meeting its potential. It's usually the coaching staff's fault. It's the coaching staff that it's it's their job to bring out the most out of the talent that they have, whether that talent is great or you know mediocre. It's their job to bring out the most out of their players. And I think that if that's the case, if that's if if that's the case in sports and if that's the case, you know, anywhere, then I think that it, it directly falls on, on heaps and, and, and the rest of the coaching staff that they're not getting the most out of guys like Diego, guys like Callan and guys like Lee on a consistent basis. It's their job to get them as, as consistent as possible. And if it's not happening, then, you know, I think it's, you start to question whether or not this, this coaching staff has the ability to get the most out of what's, what looks like a very promising and, and very strong core that like we were talking about is not going is not going to always have the pieces likely wins the the Kai Kamars around to help support them. So I think I think some serious questions have to be asked of a coaching staff that isn't getting the most out of 
out of their talent. I would add to that. I'm not necessarily saying that Jay Heaps isn't right for the job. I, I actually think he's a good coach, but I think, you know, tactically, the revolution stuck with the four, two, three, one for so long. A lot of these players are very versatile and you can throw out many different formations. You can move to a four, four, two. Um, I mean, you could do, uh, you could do a lot of things. I mean, Roe can play all over the place. Um, for them to stick so long with the four, two, three, one, I don't know if it was out of stubbornness, but I mean, we talk about that August stretch where until the end, they stuck with that, that same formation. Maybe the motivation just comes from the players don't have faith in the tactics. Um, I don't know if, again, that's pure speculation on my part, but that's another example of, you know, the second they switched over to the four, four, two, it was a lot more free flowing. They were a lot more dangerous on offense. Um, and, it might be leadership on the field that they don't have someone to motivate or to be a spark plug or whatnot. I don't know if it's motivation coming from the coaching staff, um, but I mean, I think just the stubbornness to move from the four, two, three, one, when it clearly wasn't working for a long period of time, first at the beginning of the season and then late in the summer. Um, I, I just think that's something that's got to change. Yeah. And that, that's a, an excellent point that I wanted to get to too, because I think you heard a lot of people say it um, on Twitter, and a lot of Revolution fans bring it up. Is that you know they looked good when they switched to that that four four two. So is that something that you know, should count as a positive for Jay Heaps that you know he changed that formation and the team looked good, or should it be a negative that you know he waited years when this team you know had some time struggling last year and struggling this year and never really made the switch until the very end of this season. So yeah, it's great that they looked better, but. Um, I, I, I struggle to, to decide whether you know it's a positive that he made that switch to the good or whether it's a, a negative against him that you know, it took him so long to make that switch. Yeah, I would actually actually call it negative because I would call it more reactionary than proact than than being you know being proactive about it because I think I think if you identify something that's not working and you say okay this isn't working we need to switch things up we need to play to the strengths of of the players that we have. You know, if he had made that move at the beginning of the year and said, okay, you know, this this clearly isn't working, okay, you know, hats off, you know, good job, you know, good job. You know, you, you identified the, the, the problem and you tackled it head on. I felt like the switch to the to the four four two was was out of desperation. It was they had nothing else to lose. And the season was already was already basically lost at that point. And it was a move that was made because there was nothing because basically everything else didn't work. And it was basically them saying, okay, well, you know, nothing else has worked. So I would almost say, I would almost argue that I, I, I almost can't give him credit for that because it was made, it, it was a move made because nothing else worked. And it was a move made that was not only made too late, but it was made because there was no other, <laughs> no other move to make, period. Um, and if you're going to make that move, you know, if you want to give him credit, you make that move, you make that move before it's too late. And at that point, it was too late. It was just, the, the situation was that the, the season was already basically done and it, there was really nothing else to do. Uh, I'll try to spin zone it, though. I think, I mean, hypothetically, if Kai Kamara and Juan Aguadolo are on your roster at the beginning of the season, I don't think you see the 4-4-2 at the end of the year. I think you see it by May or June. Those two guys are, are too talented to only play one striker. I, I think he recognized, I mean, it doesn't defend the fact that it, took him until, I think, September to switch over to the 4-4-2. But, I mean, it might have just been that he wanted to see Kamara play in the 4-2-3-1, and it took him too long to recognize that that system didn't work for him. 
Now, it was certainly more obvious to some people on Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to 100% give Jay Heaps a pass for um, the kind of delayed uh, formation switch, but um, I'll also kind of spin it to that. He recognized it didn't work, even though it was too late in the season. He potentially was trying out a 4 Four two four twenty seventeen, and looking to go forward. Um, I certainly think if we if he reverts back to the four two three one, it'll be very disappointing uh, going into the twenty seventeen season. But um, I think you know it's towards the end of the season. You experiment, you see if something else would work, and it didn't work. Um, and again, I'm don't give him a. I'm not letting him totally off the hook, but uh, I just think he. I, I'm not as negative as you, Brian. I, I think if Kamara and Aguadelo are on this team at the beginning of the year and he had a preseason to train in the 4-4-2, I think you see that pretty early in the season. And, and I will say in his defense, I will say that, you know, he did start. I mean, that was a good point that – it was a good point, Greg, that, you know, Kamara didn't really come until the season – didn't come into the team until until May. So you have to wonder what if, you know, if he had actually been with the team from the start of the season because – you know, at the start of the season, their, their strikers were Charlie Davies and, and Juan Adela, and both of them had obviously long, long histories of not being able to stay healthy for an entire year. So I totally get the idea of sticking, sticking with one striker because you don't know if you're going to get Charlie Davies for 30, for, you know, 30 games. You, you don't know if you're going to get Juan Adela for 30 games. And the fact that they were using Teal Bunkari as a, as, a, as a lone striker, I think kind of spoke to that, to the idea that they weren't, they weren't confident that they were going to have a healthy Juan Agudelo or a healthy Charlie Davies, you know, available all year. So, and obviously that proved to be right with Charlie, with Charlie, with the injuries, with the cancer, and, and even Juan had some early some early setbacks. But um, but yeah, I think that it was. Uh, I think I think looking back at it, I mean, could he could he have done it sooner? Yes, but I, I kind of you know with a little bit maybe a little more hindsight, a little more understanding the situation, he may, maybe maybe I'm giving him maybe I'm being too harsh on him for not going with it, you know. Game one, you know, um, and then in, in going from there because I think I think injury track injury tracks for both Agadello and Davies at the time were not were not positive, and um, and you know looking at looking at it through through that lens, I, I mean I guess I could kind of understand him not going sooner, but again I also think that he could have gone sooner than than September. Yeah, I, I agree. I I think the second you got Kamara, and I think Sean, you pointed this out a few times on Twitter. Kamara really. Um, wasn't the best fit for the revolution because he's um, he relies on crosses and no one really crosses the ball in the revolution outside of tyranny. Um, outside of tyranny, um, I mean the way the formation was set up, it didn't seem like a natural fit, and so in that sense, some change had to be made. But so I, I certainly do think that he deserves some blame for not going to the four four two sooner. Um, but with that being said, uh, I don't totally it, – it seems obvious in hindsight, but I, I certainly see the argument at the time to why he was slow to move to, the, to a formation change. Well, I think partly, too, though, is that you bring up another good point and that is Kamara wasn't the best fit. But what you saw originally from Jay Heaps in trying to adjust to Kamara was it didn't change the formation or the personnel, but – tried to force the balls to the wings more and force more crosses in. And the Revolution were putting in a ridiculous amount of crosses for a while when they when they first had Kamara. And they were very unsuccessful at doing so because they, they weren't designed to play that way. Um, and Kamara, you know, was designed to play that way, but the rest of the team wasn't. 
so rather than you know try to find a way to, to make it work for everybody, it seemed like they were just trying to force it to work for Kamara, and it didn't uh, until the end of the season when they when they made those changes. And even at times when Kamara was out and Agudelo towards the end of the year was, was healthy, uh, he showed some flashes of, of playing really well, and the team played really well off of him. Um, those games where Kamara was out, so it, it, it's just. I think that also goes to Heaps a little bit, too, is that he tried too hard to, to find a way to make Kamara fit when they first got him and stuck with that a little bit stubbornly too long as well. Um, but hitting an hour here, I did want to wrap up, and I think one final thing that would be worth talking about is you know, maybe three three areas on the field where the Revolution need to improve going into next season. Plenty of areas off the field, but we'll save that for, for another episode. Um, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll get it started. And I think the obvious is they need two new center backs, probably three new center backs. But I, you know, g- going with three players, I'll give them two new center backs. They absolutely need next year. I don't think Gonzalez is good enough. I don't think Woodbury has been good enough. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure where they're going to get them. Uh, I don't know if a guy like Matt Beasley has been out of favor in Kansas City is available, or what they could trade to to bring him over here. Um, but I think they absolutely need to get two center backs going into next season, and there's no excuse not to. Um, again, I, I could make the case that they could bring in three center backs ne- next year, and that would be their most important position. But I'd also like them to see uh, to see them bring in a true winger because they haven't really had a true winger since I don't know since Rawlson, since you know guys like Mauricio Castro. I can't really remember. I mean, Monsef Zerka, I guess, was somewhat of a winger, but even he wasn't a true winger. Uh, they haven't had a true winger in a very long time, and um, you know when they're this four four two formation, they don't necessarily need one, but. Uh, when they're switching back to formations and have more flexibility, it would be great to see them actually have a guy in midfield who can spread the field and, and put in a good cross because, you know, Diego Fagundes, Colin Rowe have their own skill sets. I think Colin Rowe is still probably better off playing in the center than he is on the wing. Just doesn't have the opportunity with, with Lee here. Um, but I'd like to see them add a, a winger that could, you know, really help this, this team out and, and give them more options. Now, I'll go to you, Greg, next, and, and your thoughts on you know what three positions on the field do they really need to improve next year to to, to change this team around? And and two count as center backs. I'm going with two. <laughs> okay, good, good. I was going to say center back, center back, and one name that I uh, is interesting and not an all pro anymore, I would say, but an interesting name, uh, Michael Parkhurst. His contract runs out with Columbus. Um, I think he could be a good fit. I mean, he's certainly on the older side, but he's a serviceable center back, and he obviously has ties to New England. So pure speculation on my part, but um, I think he'd be a veteran presence on the back line. He'd certainly be respected in the locker room. Um, So I would say two center backs. Uh, Also differ from you. uh, I'm not totally convinced that Cody Cropper is staying with the revolution. He obviously has ties to Atlanta and Minnesota. I think that an upgrade in the uh, goalkeeper position is going to be needed. Um, I'm not a Bobby Shuttleworth fan. Uh, I think Brad Knighton is a serviceable backup, but uh, I I think goalkeeping also was a big letdown this year. Uh, You want to talk about someone who regressed, I'd say Bobby Shuttleworth really did. Um, I think that they're going to need to find someone else to kind of come in and, and take over the number one job next season. Yeah, Greg, I was I, I was actually that got to be my first point. I was actually going to say we we really haven't talked about the goalkeeper situation yet. But look at the the situation that we saw. We had we we started off with with Shuttleworth. We then went and saw Knighton. Went back to Shuttleworth. Went back to Knighton, and then we we finished with uh and 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 then we we saw Proper in the last game of the season, and he certainly showed some pro- enough promise to show that you know 
maybe they're at least give them that to at least give them pause for thought that you know maybe maybe thinking about protecting him or maybe thinking him as maybe perhaps the goalkeeper next year or maybe in the not so distant future. Um, goalkeeper is absolutely one area that I think the uh, the refs should address because there was just no stability there whatsoever there this year. Um, and also, obviously, the, the, the other obvious areas are, are center back. Um, I would also agree with Sean that you actually need probably three, uh, two starters and a, and a quality depth backup, um, not somebody who, you know, kind of floats along the back line, but somebody who actually plays center back as their primary position um, is, 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 some, is, is certainly an area that they need to improve upon. Um, and I would actually, you know, I would actually like to see them go out and get another striker because, you know, for all the promise that that Juan showed and that Kai, and that um, Kai showed, I still think you need at least one more you know quality uh, striker there because um, Till Bunbury is not is not a striker. He's not he's not a striker in the sense um, uh, of the way they play. And obviously, he was phased out of of what was of, of the four four two towards down the down the stretch. So I think they could also use another striker. Um, Femi Hollinger Jansen, I don't think is. Is that striker? I think he's he's certainly serviceable off the bench, but he's not going to be like a a, a top uh, somebody who's going to push either one of those players for minutes, or who's going to be somebody that the refs can rely upon if Juan gets hurt or if Kai Kai Kamara gets hurt. So uh, those would be the three areas that I would look to see the team um, improve upon going to the off season. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you brought up the goalkeeper, and I, you know I'm I like I like my stats. So I, I, I remember I checked when, when Cropper was brought in here and how Shuttleworth had the worst save percentage in the league among regular starters. He finished the year at 56.2%, which is pretty atrocious for a goalkeeper. My my mindset has, has always been, you know, if it, and, and to a certain extent, save percentage falls on the defense as well and the types of shots they're giving up. But at the same time, when you're that low, it's really bad. And it's, for, for me, for me, a goalkeeper that's having a, you know, a pretty good year should be around 70%. Um, and if they're having a great year, then maybe they're a bit over 70%. But 56.2%, you're, you're almost letting half the shots that you face going in the net is is pr- pretty pretty bad number. And Brad Knighton finished at 63.3%, which is decently better than Bobby Shuttleworth, but still not not the type of number you want to see from your, your starting goalkeeper. And, yeah, Cropper looked good in one game, but I, you know, I tend to agree with Greg that there's a good chance he's not going to be here next year based on his ties to, to both expansion teams. And based on the fact that, what was it, back in March he said he wanted to come to MLS but only to Atlanta or Minnesota. So, I mean, maybe things have changed, but it, it's, it is an area that they need to look at for sure um, because, you know, if Cropper, maybe, maybe Cropper is that guy if he does come back, but um, you know, even Cropper, as, as good as he looked in that last game, he was a guy that floated around the lower divisions of England for a while and, and struggled to find a regular starting spot. So we, we still don't know what we're going to get out of him, as good as he's been for the, the U.S. youth national teams. Um, but it's, 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 it's definitely another spot they need to address along with center back. And I think it's something that's very underrated in terms of you know, control of the defense is having a vocal keeper and a keeper that directs traffic. And we saw that a lot from Matt Reese. And I think Shuttleworth got better at that as his career has gone along. But you know, that's something that's oftentimes overlooked, is that's a key component to the defense, organizing the defense. And uh, I don't know, since, since Matt Reese has been gone, they haven't had you know, the, the presence that they need there. And I think he's been a guy that they haven't replaced well enough either. Um, you talk about him playing with the ball at his feet. Obviously, none of these guys have shown they can do that. Um, but that that's going to be something that they have to look at in the offseason. And there's going to be a lot of changes. And I think we definitely want to at least do another podcast before the expansion draft to, to talk more about, about those issues. But it's, it's, it's been interesting. And I guess 
final thoughts are going around before you end the show is he's going to be back next year. And, you know, is this team going to make the moves they need to make to, to, to get over the top next year and get back in the playoffs? Or are they going to regress further? I think, I think they bring back keeps next year. Uh, I don't think they're going to make enough moves. They'll make some moves, but I think they won't make enough moves. And I think because of that, I think uh, they're, they're going to, again, pay the price, the same price that they paid this year. And that's going to be falling short of the playoffs. And, um, the only way I can see them possibly, uh, you know, making the playoffs next year is with a series of, of smart moves during the off season, and then one one key move during during the middle of the season to address whatever weakness exists. Because every every MLS team has a weakness, has has an area they need to address uh, near the summer transfer window. And if they make the right moves, if they make uh, quality moves during the winter, and then make that had that one piece that dresses whatever whatever weaknesses they have uh, midseason, then I think they'll I think they'll be in good shape. But those are obviously big ifs when it comes to this team. Um, I am going to say that yes, Jay Heaps is back next year, and I would actually argue for retaining him. Um, the reason why I think that they actually will probably go out and make some big splashes is because um, unless there is an extension, I don't know about this is a contract year for Jay Heaps, and I think he has a lot of faith in his players. Obviously, he's kept the same core, but I think he knows he's on the hot seat. And I think if they don't make the playoffs, they're definitely going to – it's definitely going to be his last year. I would expect that they have some high expectations because this is his fifth or sixth year with the team, the 2017, uh, the 2017 campaign. Uh, I think they he's been building this young core, and I think patience is going to run out unless they make a big splash next year. So maybe Kowasi is the guy that comes in and, and changes everything, but – I certainly expect to see some players brought in along the back line. I think they'd be crazy not to do that. I, I don't think, you know, you guys say bring in three center backs. I think London uh, uh, London Woodbury might be their third. But if he's in the starting lineup, uh, that really just goes to speak to um, the revolution and whether or not it's the resources that they have or just their lack of, uh, I don't know what to say, but it's very apparent that they need center backs. So, um, I would say Heaps is staying on. I, I think you give them one more year, and I think they bring in, I'll say, one impact player to, to give them a boost. Um, and I think they're going to make five or six seed in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, my thoughts are if Heaps is going to leave, we might have heard something by now. So I, I kind of tend to agree that he'll be back. Um, and, and I think the making the Open Cup final – um, probably probably helped his case in that, even though you know, their, their path to the Open Cup was a pretty fortunate and lucky one, I would say. Um, but uh, the, one, the one thing that you know, we've, we've talked about is that they need to bring these guys in. Um, but particularly at center back, one of the other issues we've seen with this team is even when they have managed to bring guys in in preseason, they usually haven't made these signings till, you know March or right before the season starts. And you know, at center back in particular, you need guys to build chemistry and have a preseason. So that's something I'd like to see this team do is go out there and not only bring in two center backs, but bring in two center backs early on in the preseason so they actually have time to, you know, to, to build a relationship. And so you, you hit the, the start of the regular season running with these guys because that, too, has been a big issue with this team is having close to a complete roster you know, as the preseason comes to a close. So in addition to bringing in guys, I think they need to bring them in early if they can and find a way to do that. Um, so th- those are all things that I'm going to be looking for this offseason to, to see how this team does. So if they don't, I, I do see this team regressing. Um, it's, 
it's hard for me to see this team going out and getting the two center backs that they need to to improve next year. And without that, I, I don't think they make the playoffs next year. So unless something changes or unless they go out and surprise me, um, I kind of expect this team to, to regress, unfortunately, um, beneath where they were this year, um, despite, despite the impressive play at the end of the season. Uh, and I think the offense has the talent. It's just the defense. And I'm, you know, maybe they're only two or three players away. And I, I would go as far as to say they are only two or three players away. Um, I'm just not sure they're going to get those players. Uh, but I do want to wrap things up now. Thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again, Brian and, and Greg, for joining me. Um, you can obviously follow us all on Twitter. Brian, do you want to give your Twitter handle? Sure. It's uh, Brian O'Connell21. And Greg? Uh, I'm G Johnstone 12 You can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. And, of course, you can tweet us at any soccer today as well. And, of course, always check out the website. We'll keep you posted on when we're going to do this again and obviously get everything posted up on New England Soccer today. Thanks for listening to Revolution Recap.